0: We're in the book of James. Please turn with me to James chapter 4, and we left off in verse 11. James chapter 4, uh, verse 11. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds uh, to your word, to your presence, to get a greater perspective. And a lot of times things go in one ear and out another. Lord, I'm so thankful for this group of believers that's here on Wednesday night, that's setting aside time to study your word. We pray that you would minister to us and and bless us. We pray for Awana and Children's Ministry, that you would bless them tonight, give the teachers and leaders strength. Pray for junior high and high school, that you would pour out your spirit and meet with them. And Bless them. We're thankful to be your children. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. What can a day bring? It can bring a whole lot, can it? It can bring joy. It can bring blessing. It can bring sorrow. Sometimes a, a person's life will change in one particular day, in one particular moment, with the loss of, of a loved one, with the loss of your health or, or your job. And what we see in our section of Scripture, we're going to end chapter 4 and go into chapter 5, is perspective. That we would have a perspective on the amount of time that God has given us and learn to submit our plans into the hand of God. And when we go into chapter 5, God's perspective on money. We're going to see it's addressed to some wealthy folks that were taking advantage of others, taking advantage of of believers, and really having God's perspective on money. That can be easier said than done, can't it? And then to have God's perspective on the second coming of Christ, that he's going to make all things right, and with that to then endure, to press on and endure the way that Job did. So let's... Begin our journey in verse 11 of chapter four. It says, do not speak evil of another brethren. In chapter four, the theme and the center of the passage is humility. We spent time at the end of our study last week really looking at being broken before God and weeping and mourning over our own sin and drawing near to God in that sinful state and allowing him to to cleanse us. And now this turns of how humility is expressed to others. So we experience God's grace as we're broken before the Lord, but as we receive that grace and forgiveness, it should affect the way we treat people, and we're called to this place of not speaking evil of another brethren. This evil speaking is slander, it's criticism, it's gossip, it's having a a judgmental spirit. So God sets us free from that as he ministers grace to our hearts and our lives. If we choose to speak evil of our brother, it says, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So in fact, if we're speaking evil of of a brother, we've made ourselves a judge of the law. So in order to condemn them, we have to consider ourselves to be an expert on the law, don't we? And as soon as we become a judge of the law, then we become a breaker of God's law. Now you might be asking, does this m- mean that we never address sin? Well, we know we're supposed to address sin with one another when we love each other and care for each other. That we're to consider the log in our own eye first and then look for the speck that may be in our brother or sister's eye and go to him in gentleness and meekness. This is something different. This is when we've lost the heart of restoration and biblical confrontation. And this is in that place of, I'm just fed up with somebody, and I'm going to begin to run them under the bus. I'm going to begin to speak evil of them. And when we put ourselves in that place of being the judge, we become a lawbreaker. In verse 12, who's the one who's to do the judging? There is one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So the lawgiver has the ability to save and also to destroy. Jesus has the ability to save because he fulfilled the law. He's the perfect sacrifice for our sin upon the cross, and he has the legal right to declare forgiveness to those who believe in him. But he also has the power to bring judgment for those that reject him. But that's God's job. That's God's place. We're not to be in that place of of judgment. We can come alongside. We can encourage. We can exhort and challenge, but never to bring that condemnation. That's the Lord's position In Deuteronomy, we see God declaring this about himself. He says, see now that I himself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. It's it's him who has the ability to do this. Hannah realizes this in her prayer in 1 Samuel 2. The Lord brings death and makes alive. You guys remember the story of Job? We're going to get into it more uh, in our study later, the second half of the study. But remember, as he was going through difficulty, what did his friends do? They spoke evil of him, they judged him. They thought that they had him figured out that he was in the wrong. And God patiently listens to the friends try to sort it out and for Job to try to sort it out. And then in Job 40, verse seven, God speaks and he says, brace yourself like a man. That's never good when you hear God begin to speak to you that way. Says, I will question you, and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's arm? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. So we see God saying, look, you guys are trying to sort this out, and you're trying to bring judgment on Job, and Job, you're questioning me. No, I'm God, and I'm the one who is in the position of of being judged. So this causes us to be humbled a little bit more. How many times do we go through our day and feel like, hey, it's okay for me to speak evil about somebody? It's okay for me to gossip. It's okay for me to to criticize and do this behind their back. I don't have any intention of talking to them personally. It's not like I'm trying to sort this out of the best way to go to them. It's entered into something entirely different in our hearts and in our lives. Now we get to this exhortation on making plans and making sure our plans are submitted to God's hand. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. This is a great business plan. You've got a booming city, so you're going to go there and live for a year, do business for the purpose of making a profit. We're planners, aren't we, in the American culture? Our lives are planned out with our calendars you may be even already starting to discuss and consider plans for 2018, right? Now summer's over, so you got to start planning your summer for 2018, right? We're, we're planners. And so this particular individual has a good plan. In verse 21, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. The only problem with the plan is you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, In fact, we don't even know what's gonna happen today. In fact, we may not make it to our Thanksgiving plans or our Christmas plans or our New Year's plans or spring break or work plans or home project plans. But yet we oftentimes make our plans as if we're in control, right? I really do have control and so I can put this into motion and I can have this plan and it's gonna all go as I have planned. And many times it does. Many times it does. Your week goes as you plan it. The year goes as you you plan it, but not always. But not always. And God wants us to live our lives being aware of the fact that things could change, and they could change radically, and they could change quickly. And so we need to take our plans and put them into the hands of God. In Proverbs 27.1, it says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. Don't get arrogant about tomorrow, because you don't know what a day will bring. Jesus put it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't worry about March. Don't worry about a year from now. Don't worry about a month from now because you got to focus on today. And there's enough trouble just in today. Have you ever been looking out on the horizon and you miss the curb right in front of you? (laughs) Or you miss the crack right in front of you? It wouldn't have been a big deal if your perspective, my perspective, was in the right location, if I was looking right in front of me. But I'm out in the horizon, and so then it can cause great injury. And sometimes we get tripped up because we're so worried and focused and planning about the future, we miss the opportunity of the day. God's always a God of the present. He promises daily bread. He gave manna to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, daily provision. I tend to get myself too concerned with the future, and if I Look too far in the future and try to plan ahead too much. I definitely get discouraged or distracted for today. Today goes best when I live in the moment. This is where God has me today. So I want to be faithful today and not try to get consumed with tomorrow. Then this exhortation for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What, what is your life? Think about your life in terms of eternity. Infinity times affinity, times affinity, times affinity. That's really hard to grasp. We can't even begin to fathom eternity. But in comparison, my life compared to eternity is a vapor that vanishes away. It is very quick. It's very temporary. We are headed to some cold weather. It will happen, even though we're experiencing a nice, warm weather right now. But there will be some Wednesday night Bible studies that we're going to head out into that parking lot, and our breath will be visible, won't it? And that is an example of what life is. It's so quick. It's, it's there, and then it's gone. Even if you live to be 80 years old. And if you live to be ni- 90, 90 years old. What is your life? It's a vapor that vanishes away. It's a blip on the screen. Psalms 102 says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They fly by, zip, zip. Also for my days vanish like smoke. As for man, his days are like grass. Man, the grass looks so good in the spring. It looks good in June. It's it's fresh, it's alive, it's new. And if you look closely now as you go into the fall, it's starting to fade, isn't it? It's starting to die. It's starting to pass away. And my life passes away like grass. In Psalms 90, verse 20, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Meditate upon that. It's a prayer. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God wants you counting your days. Well, you say, well, that's kind of difficult. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Well, that's the point. That that brings us back to making sure I'm redeeming the time. And I'm fully investing in today. And I'm not getting too far ahead of myself with with this plan. Teach me to number my days so I may gain a heart of wisdom. In August, we went on our pastor's getaway, went on a Monday, came back on a Thursday. And I talked to my dad on the phone one of the nights that we were up there. And they live in Highlands Ranch up in, in South Denver. And one of their neighbors passed away that day. As we were driving on C-470 to go up in, into the mountains, I was telling the guys that I was with, I was like, yeah, my parents live, live right over there. And turns out they have four kids, and mom is home with the three-year-old. The three older kids are at elementary school. She has a heart attack, passes away in her home, and the three-year-old's there, watches her mom pass away, and is by, by herself. And the kids don't get picked up from school. So the elementary kids, mom doesn't come, mom doesn't come, mom doesn't come. So the school realizes, well, something must be wrong and calls dad, who's a school teacher. And he rushes home to find his wife had passed away. You know, and that really hit me. That really stuck out to me, you know. One, because I think I can relate to it. We've got four young kids, and I I can't imagine... You know, telling Amber goodbye in the morning, have her pass away, and that be it, and that that's it. It's done. It's gone. It vanishes away. And I, I can share that story with you, and it impacts me. But yet, I still live like that's never going to happen to me. Like that's somebody else's family, right? But I'm going to live forever, right? My my family, we're just it's just going to keep going the way that it's always been, and. But that's not what the Bible says, does it? That's not what the Bible teaches. And so to really see life as a fragile gift that we cherish, you know? That we cherish the life that God's given to us, that we cherish our loved ones, we cherish our wife and kids, our our parents, our friends, the body of Christ. For us to be able to gather here together together, who knows? A week from now, some of us may be with the Lord. That's the truth of this scripture. Saying, saying Don't get so caught up in your plan a year from now that you realize, fail to realize that life's a gift. Lord, teach me to number my days so I could apply my heart to wisdom. It's a hard question, but what if you knew you had six months to live? What would be different? You know, or what if you knew you had five years to live? What would be different? God wants us to live our lives in a way where there's not regrets. It's like, I'm fully alive with the Lord and fully alive with with loving others, but this gets difficult in the midst of the daily grind, doesn't it? We lose that perspective. And it takes a shock to our system for us to to value life and be thankful for the life that God has has given to us. You never know what a day is going to bring. So here's what we're to do instead. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live or do this or do that. God does not condemn having a plan. God does not go to this individual and say, it's wrong for you to say you're gonna go to this city and do such and such for a year and make make profit. I think it's good stewardship to have a plan. You know, sometimes we can go too far on the other side and we go through our life without seeking God and his direction and putting together a plan for our lives and those that we love, thinking about, Lord, what would you want me to do, and how would you want me to invest time? Money's not inherently evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. This person could have been intending to go and have a good business year and invest in in the kingdom. We don't know. There's nothing wrong with the plan. The scripture doesn't say anything wrong with having a plan. The problem was is they just assumed that the plan was going to go forward as business as usual. With no thought to God's in control, and have I trusted the Lord and submitted this plan to God. So if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this this year. If the Lord wills, I'm going to do this this week. I've thought through this, and I have, have prayed about it. In the busyness and the, how chaotic life is, it's very easy to make plans and implement those plans without trusting the Lord and surrendering it to God. How attached are you to your plans? What if God changed your plans? What if God intervened and said, nope, this isn't gonna happen. I'm gonna put you over here. I'm gonna close this door. I'm gonna open that door. Would we go, oh, wow, God, thank you. Thank you that you're moving. Thank you that you care. Or we go, Lord, you just mess things up, you know? We had this all figured out, and we really got attached to, to our plan. In verse 16, But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. They're actually boasting in their arrogance to think that they can make a plan, and it's just going to go seamlessly without relying upon God's direction and His leading and his, his provision. And that kind of boasting is evil. God wants us walking in humility, and that humility submits our plans to the Lord. Verse 17, 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. We oftentimes don't think of sin as this definition. Many times we just think sin is doing those things that are wrong, doing those things that are forbidden, but also sin is to neglect to do the good that God has placed in front of us. This verse does tie in to how short your life is. My life's short, your life short, So God wants us serving him. God wants us doing those good things that he places in front of us. If you have an opportunity to do good, do it. And if we neglect to do good, then we have committed sin. See, the Christian life is more than just do not, do not, do not, do not. But it's also filled with these wonderful commands of things that God wants us to do. And that's when the Christian life gets a lot more exciting, doesn't it? When the Lord says, okay, put feet to your faith and begin to live these things out and take those opportunities to do good that God has put in front of you. Let's go into chapter 5. He speaks now to the rich. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your your miseries that are coming upon you. As we read through the next few verses, this group of rich people are those that were taking advantage of others. They weren't paying laborers in their field. They'd come about their riches through dishonest gain. It says, you need to be weeping and howling for, for misery is coming upon you. They're in a good place financially, but they're not in a good place spiritually. God's correction, God's destruction is coming in their life. A life of luxury that's leading to destruction and God calls them to weep and mourn this. Can you be wealthy and be right with God? Yes, you can. Abraham, David, Job, Joseph of Arimathea and Lydia are examples of people that God blessed with money and they walked with the Lord and used God's resources for God's purposes. Many times though, money can trip us up. we see that a lot of times in scripture as well. So verse 2, your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you, and you will will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. I want to reread verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat Your flesh like fire. You have reaped up treasure in the last days. God's perspective of their wealth, their perspective of their wealth, two different things. They're probably going, Man, my bank account looks great. My gold and silver looks great. The price of gold, oh, per ounce, never been better. Price of silver, I was so wise to invest in this. But what does the Lord say? It's corroded. Your, your garments are, are moth-eaten. And in fact, here you are, and you're heaping up treasure in the last day. I don't know. There could be some that have been blessed financially, and that finances almost becomes a barrier from them ever considering the fact that they're a sinner and they're in need of God's grace for salvation. And this whole time, God's saying no. You're, you're heaping up judgment for yourself in the last days we see specifically the kind of people that we're addressing in verse four. It says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Part of the reason these guys were so wealthy is they were thieves. And they were not paying people that worked in their fields. And this cry comes out to the Lord. God hears and is going to bring judgment. This is interesting, isn't it? This is a different perspective on finances. Is if God has blessed you materially and you have somebody who does work for you and you don't pay them for the purpose of keeping more money in your bank account, then the Lord would say, hey, you're accountable for this. I don't want you living this way. And it seems that James is addressing unbelievers here who've got caught up in the world system where they say, I I don't care if I rip somebody off as long as I have a bigger bottom line. I was reading an article today about the first uh, laser jet uh, ink printers. And they came out and they, they said, you know, really only wealthy people Can afford to use these, we need to have an inkjet printer that the common man could be able to use. So what did they do? They actually put a chip, IBM did, in the laser jets that would slow it down so if you bought one that was slower, it was cheaper. So if you wanted one that was fast, you paid more money. And so there was no difference other than that they engineered to make it slower so that they could have two price brackets, right? That, that's business. They're finding a way to make make more, more money. And this is the kind of the culture that we live in when it comes to, to business. Well, who cares if we rob from somebody? Who cares if we steal from somebody as long as we make more money? And we can fall into that as believers. And if you have the opportunity to employ somebody, treat them fairly, you know, the Bible says that a laborer is is worth their, their labors. Agree on a wage and pay them for it. You know, don't, 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 we shouldn't be those people that go, I want the deal because you're a brother in Christ. I want a deal because you're a, a sister in Christ. Could you come work over on my house and, and do it for free because we're bros? No, they're, they're worth their, their labor. They're working hard. They're trying to provide for their family. And if, if you agreed for it to a price, then, then pay it, you know? And so this, this is what it entered into the hearts of, of these people, and the Lord hears it. The cries come before uh, the Lord. In Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15, it says, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens his, who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and let not the sun go down on it for he is poor, and he has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it shall be sin to you. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Don't, don't oppress. Pay. Here, this guy need, needs money. If you're not paying him, he's going to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord hears, and it's going to be sin to you. So as you're talking about perspective, what's our perspective on our lives? Our lives is a vapor. A big part of our lives... Is money. Every day you have to deal with money. It's part of the physical world. You know, we spend it, we receive it, we give it. So, what is our attitudes about money saying about our life? I'm not talking about how much money you have or you don't have, but what's my attitude towards money? What's my perspective? What's the lens in which I see money? And do I see it first as belonging to the Lord? It all belongs to the Lord. And we simply get to be stewards of it. As we look throughout Scripture, God calls us to be a giving person financially, with money. Yes, with time and talents, but also with money. Why? Because your heart will follow treasure. Whatever you put money into, your heart will be there also. So God says, put money into the kingdom, give towards kingdom purposes, and that's gonna protect our hearts from greed. That's gonna protect our hearts from being in that place where where money trips us up. So it's it's not evil, but if we adopt the wrong attitude towards it. This is really hard to hear. I don't like it about myself. You're probably not gonna like to hear it, but there's nothing more that reveals our character than what we do with money. It has everything to do with our behavior, our behavior. And if we think things like, well, if I just made more, I wouldn't have money problems. Not true, not true. It's a heart issue. It's revealing stuff about my character. If I go, I just can't wait and I have to have this and I'm gonna go out and get it and I really deserve this cup of coffee whether I can afford it or not, that's my behavior. That, that's my character. I got a character flaw. I got a a character issue there. It's a trust in the Lord issue. So so there's a lot here. The the way these particular individuals are handling money and treating people says a lot about who they are, says a lot about their relationship with God. In verse 5, "'You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. "'You have fattened your hearts as in the day of judgment.'" So here are those that don't appear to know the Lord. I have all of this money and they're distracted in their money to never even considering the claims of Christ. In verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. So in this love of money, it gets to the place where they've actually murdered people that are righteous, people that are just. And that righteous, just person doesn't resist them. It seems as though this group of believers is dealing with some that are rich, that are oppressing the poor, that are oppressing the common man. And so James addresses them, but then more importantly, he addresses how believers should respond to that type of repre- oppression. In verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. After reading the first six verses, what is verse 7 telling you? Jesus is going to come and clean house. So if you're working in someone's field and he's not paying you, hey, don't worry about it. Be patient. Jesus is coming and he hears the cries and he's going to take, it, take care of it. This is part of the second coming of Christ. Everybody's accountable to him. He's coming in judgment and he's going to set things right. That person's not getting away with anything. That's hard to do. If you're in the position of, of a believer who's being oppressed by someone else, right? Everything inside of us says, I'm gonna go make this right with my fist, right? I'm gonna deal with this right now. And here, the response is, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. This rich man who's oppressing the poor, he is gonna have to be accountable to the Lord. Is the second coming of Christ a secondary teaching in scripture, or is it primary? It's primary, There's over 300 references of the second coming of Christ. This is one in every 13 verses. The scripture oozes with Christ's return. Isn't that amazing? Over 300 references, one in 13 verses, on average are saying Christ is going to return. Christ is going to come back. Christ is going to make things right. This is to be primary in our view. So perspective on our life Perspective on money, but then perspective on the second coming of Christ. Acts 1, verse 11, angels are speaking. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Promise of God. Just as you saw him go up, he's going to come down and return. Do you, have you been taken advantage by somebody? Whether they're a believer or unbeliever? Do you believe this enough to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be patient and let you handle it? You hear my cries. I've lost, let's say, $5,000. They owe me $12,000, whatever the, the case may be. They're not getting away with it. Trust it over to the Lord, give it over to Him, be patient. Christ is coming, He's going to make it right. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. The example of the farmer is patient. Plants the seed, waters, takes care of the weeds, fertilizes, knowing that the crop's going to come. The first and latter rains that are going to water his garden. In the same way, we're faithful, we sow the seed, we tend to what God has given us to do, knowing that Christ is going to come, but it's going to be in the waiting. Loved what Jason shared during worship. And it's so true. God is in the waiting. He's teaching. He's revealing his character. As we wait and we long for the second coming of Christ, the farmer waits in hope. So here's the application. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patient is to be of long spirit to not lose heart. Don't lose heart because Christ is coming. It's going to be worth it. Your faithfulness is unto the Lord. He sees the smallest thing that's done in His name. Be patient and establish your hearts. It's exactly what that worship song is declaring. God is in the waiting. Take courage. Allow your heart to be established. The word established means to make stable, place firmly, set fast, fixed, Opposite of being double-minded, God put iron into our hearts. That's an established heart. That's a heart that says, I don't know what's going to take place in my life and the ups and the downs, but I know that Christ is going to return, and that allows my heart to be established, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. James believed the coming of Christ to be near and imminent, possible, And for us to see the coming of Christ as the same way, it's at hand. Jesus said, he who testified to these things says, surely I am coming quickly, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. And our response is right on. I'm ready. Come quickly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's how the scripture ends in Revelation 22. In verse nine, do not grumble against one another, Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. The idea of this is you don't want to be caught grumbling and complaining about another believer when Christ returns. He can come back and be like, why are you grumbling? Why are you complaining? Why are you worried about I came back. I'm, I'm going I'm to hold him accountable. You didn't need to be grumbling and complaining about that. And if we're in that place of speaking evil and grumbling and complaining, then we're in the wrong. H- how do we want to be when Christ returns? We want to be in that place of being in love with him and and serving others. Oh man, isn't it easy to grumble though? It sure is. Verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. So the prophets are an example to us that It's worthwhile to suffer for righteousness and endure in patience. We think of Elijah in his suffering. We think of Jeremiah who's thrown into a dungeon and put into prison. Isaiah and Daniel. The, The prophets suffered, and they're an example to us of suffering and patience. They spoke in the name of the Lord. They declared God's message, and because of it, it resulted in suffering. Do you feel like you have pressed into God's calling in your life? Do you feel like you're attempting to be obedient to God's word? And the result of it has been suffering. And in the back of your mind, you're like, man, if I would just give up on what God has called me to do, it would be easier. And that's where the prophets come in. And they're an example of keep enduring. Because you never know when the finish line is going to come. You could be a day away from being in God's presence and you want to finish in faithfulness. We could be a day away from Christ's return and we want to finish in faithfulness. Our job is simply to be faithful and to keep going. An example to us in this area of, of suffering. In verse 11, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. For you have heard of the perseverance of Job And seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Get the example of Job when it comes to endurance. The perseverance of Job. Job, in one day, lost 7,000 sheep, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. And he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So he's walking with the Lord with tremendous character. Satan's saying, have you considered your servant Job? If you remove your hedge of protection, his finances are wiped out in one day. And then he loses his children. His children had gathered together for a family reunion, a family party, and the storm comes through and all of his children pass away. Could you imagine Hear the news your finances are gone, and then you hear the news that your children have died. He loses his health, his tremendous health problems, and boils, these hideous boils. And what's he left with? A wife and three friends. And they're not very encouraging. The wife knows exactly what the issue is and says, why don't you curse God and die? Why don't you just get this over with? We know that this is a test of your integrity, so just just curse god just just go for it and i like to pick on job's wife it's kind of low hanging fruit you know she's she's kind of asking for it with a statement like that but i think we'd be struggling too i mean she lost all of her possessions she lost her kids she's watching her husband suffer and she's just like forget it i'm i'm, I'm going to punt and we find in Job that he responded in worship and he says, the Lord gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He continued, he, he persevered. His three friends begin the first 10 days and they just sit and weep with Job. And you're like, man, these guys are awesome. And again, we like to pick on Job's friends because of some of the things that they said. But would I sit there for 10 days and weep? Probably not, Right? These guys are pretty patient that they wait for 10 days, but when they do start speaking, they're entirely wrong. They think it was because of the sin in Job's life that he had this trial come upon him, and that's very common today as well. Deep down, people go, you must have done something wrong because of this trial that you're going through uh, in your life, and it's laborsome and it's hard to read through this back and forth with Job and his friends in this dialogue. And we come to the end of the book, the end of the book of Job, God speaks to Job. We read a little bit of it tonight, and gives him a different perspective. And then God begins to restore Job. Job prays for his friends, and as, when he prays for his friends, God begins the the restoration. He ends up with more children than he had prior. God blesses him with his possessions once again. And the whole time, God had an intended end. That's what it says here an intended end by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And what I like about this example of Job's endurance, he never gave up and he kept going, but it wasn't pretty. It was real, it was raw, it was human. There's times where Job is saying, God, the day that I was born is the worst day on the planet. I don't know why you ever allowed me to be born. It would have been better if I was a stillbirth. I mean, he was discouraged, as all discouraged could be, but he didn't get to that place where he cursed God, and he kept going. He got up, and he kept going. He got up, and he kept going, and continued to to hold on to hope in the midst of it being being difficult. And the message here for us is we have a good father that has a good intended end for us. And in Romans eight, verse eighteen it says, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're not promised a fairy tale ending in this life. It's not that God always gives us the ending that Job had in this life, but he does give all believers a great ending in heaven. This is all leading up to the coming of Christ on this earth and for us to forever be with the Lord. That's what it's leading towards. God's not saying, okay, Eric, you're going to go through trial, and then some point in this life, things are going to break, and it's going to be easy street down here on this earth. No, he's saying, it could be hard all the way through. So brace yourself. It's going to be tough. It's going to continue to be tough. It's going to be a lot of things you don't understand. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm coming back. It's about eternity. It's about eternal life. So hold on to that. Hold on to that perspective of hope and keep going and keep going and keep going. Do you believe that God's got a good intended in for you? May God give us a taste of eternal life. That's going to be the best moment when we step from this life into eternal life. And until then, we just keep going. Be raw with God. Be open with God. Let the Lord know that you feel like giving up. But deep down press into Him and press into His His promises. We end with verse 12. This will be our last verse tonight. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no-no, lest you fall into judgment. As we move forward in this life, the message of verse 12 is be a person of your word. We shouldn't have to say, hey, I'm gonna be there, I swear it, on my mother's grave, right? I- I'm gonna help you move. I-, I-, I swear on my mother's grave, I'm gonna be there. We should be the kind of person that just says, yep, I'm gonna help you move, I'm gonna be there. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. It'll save us a lot of hardship in this life if we're just consistent with our word. Hey, I said yes, so I'm sticking with yes. I said no, so I'm sticking with no. I don't know yet, so I'm not giving you a flippant yes or a flippant no. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it, and I'm gonna get back to you, you know? A great one that'll help you in this if you're married is say, I need to talk to my spouse first. And if they get upset because they don't want you to talk to your spouse, then they don't value your marriage, right? And so that gives you a great opportunity to talk with your spouse, pray about it a little bit, and, and then get back to them and, and say, yeah, I can do this or, or I can't. We're not perfect in this, but hopefully we can grow in this. Be, be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, can people trust you? If you say, hey, I'm going to be here at this time, I'm going to do this thing, can they, can they trust you f- to fulfill your word? Perspective. Perspective on our lives and, and God's will. Have you left God out of your plans? Have you realized that your life is a vapor? May the Holy Spirit again tonight show us that value of life. May the Holy Spirit take you back to a moment where you had a loved one pass away or almost passed away and you were in awe of, wow, life is a tremendous gift. Money. We're accountable to the Lord. How we treat people when it comes to business transactions and relationships. And then hope. Jesus is coming. He really is. Everything is going to be set right. And then endurance. God has a good end in mind. So keep running. Keep going. Set your eyes on the Lord and allow him to give you strength. And Lord willing, we'll finish the book of James next week. So let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for each person that's here tonight. Their life is a gift from you. We don't want to take our lives for granted and those that we love and even those that we don't know. Lord, time is such a gift for, from you. Would you lead us in our plans? May they be your plans and we submit to your will. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. God, we don't want our hearts to be in love with money. We want money to reflect our relationship with you. You're the provider. We trust in you. Lord, may we be people that give and invest and treat people fairly when it comes to, to business deals and transactions in a way that would honor you. Lord, and as we go through this life, may we remember that you, Jesus, are going to return. There's a good end. Give us a glimpse of that good end. Pray for those tonight that are discouraged, that are in that place that Job's at. They're in the waiting, God. Would you minister to our hearts? Would you bless this time of communion? In Jesus' name, amen.